0: Happy Father's Day to all you dads and grandfathers and all the men in our lives who are like fathers to us even though we might not be related. This is your special day and we love and appreciate you and thank you for spending some time with us in worship. Early last month, my youngest son Nathan who's 8 years old had been out playing with my other son Luke outside and they were going at it pretty hard and Nathan came into our home office where I was working and he just lay down on the floor and I thought he was exhausted, which he was. And he stayed there for a longer period of time than I anticipated. So I got him up. We went and sat down on the couch in the next room and found out that he just was not feeling well. And so we took his temperature and sure enough found out that he had a fever, which scared us to death because obviously with COVID-19, one of the early symptoms is fever. So We got medicine into him immediately, got him to bed, kept getting the medicine into him at the regular intervals throughout the night, just did a lot of praying, and we're hoping that that fever would break. If not, we're gonna call the doctor the next morning early and get him in to see the doctor. But thankfully, the fever did indeed break in the morning, and he didn't have coronavirus. He was fine after that. None of us got sick after that, but it was just this huge scare. And as I was praying to God and just thinking to myself about my son, just how worried I was and how much this was upsetting our family, I was ready to trade places with him if I could. I know it's not physically possible, but ready to do whatever it took. Like God, please just make sure that Nathan's okay. And I know that there are people in your life that you feel the same way about, that if you saw that they were hurting, if you saw that they were in trouble, that you would do everything in your power to make things right. And I think we also would hope in our own lives that there are other people in our lives, friends or family, who love us like that. That if we were in trouble, if we were hurting, that they loved us so much that there's nothing they wouldn't do to help us. And so if you've ever cared about someone like that, if you, if you ever want someone to care about you in that same way, then you're in the right place today because Jesus is going to tell us a story that speaks to our situations Uh, We're going to pick up the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke that we looked at a a couple of weeks ago where he was telling a couple of parables about a lost sheep and a lost coin. And today we're going to look at the third of those three parables. And it's often called the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. And a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so we're going to pick up again with Jesus today in Luke's Gospel Uh, Gospel means the good news of Jesus. Luke was a first century Christian. He was a physician, and he is recounting for us the story of Jesus. And so let's pick that up and see what it teaches us about loving relationships, especially with God. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So, man has two sons. His younger son wants his inheritance early, which is a little bit unusual. Actually, it's a lot unusual, very unusual for the first century. It's very unusual for now. Usually, we don't get our inheritance until our parents have passed on and, and gone to be with God in heaven, right? And so, this is an unusual request. The younger son would have inherited about one third of his. Uh, family estate, and he's wanting it early. He's wanting to go out and just spend and do all kinds of things. And one of the reasons that we don't give inheritance out early is because it could run out quickly, and then our children would be dependent upon someone else to take care of them. And so uh, this is a little bit unusual, but the father honors his younger son's freedom of choice, his free will, and grants the request. Let's see what happens. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So the ultimate fear happens. The son goes out, and the inheritance is spent quickly, and he lives hard, and he plays hard, and And now he has nothing left to show for it. A famine comes and now he's starving. He's hungry and he doesn't quite know what to do. And he finds himself in trouble. He finds himself in a difficult circumstance. And so the consequences of our sin, the consequences of our wrongdoing are often tragedy, which is exactly what this young man is finding himself in the midst of. We continue. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So the only job he can get is feeding pigs, which is not a glamorous job. It evidently didn't pay much because he was still hungry. Whatever he was getting paid wasn't enough to keep him well fed. On top of that, this young man was likely Jewish in the first century. And in the Jewish religious tradition, they saw different animals different ways. Sometimes they considered an animal clean that they could have contact with, and other animals would be considered unclean and could not have contact with. Well, a pig was considered to be unclean, and so this was a disgraceful job. It was a job that would bring shame. And so he's at the lowest of the low, and he's still not even able to feed himself enough. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So the young man figures out things have to change. He has made a huge mistake. And he doesn't think that he's worthy to be considered a son of his father anymore. But he does think that he might be able to get a job as a servant for his father and at least have something decent to eat. And so he's ready to admit that he was wrong. He's ready to admit that he made a mistake. He's ready to to swallow his pride. He doesn't expect to be restored to the same status that he had, the, the, the son of this father. He wants to go and work for his father and... That's what he sets out to do. Let's see how the father reacts to that. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Now, in the original context of this story that Jesus is telling, this would be a cultural surprise. This is not the behavior that fathers would normally have done. In that day and age, a father would wait for his son or a relative to approach the father in the home and show some respect before the father would even acknowledge they were there, before the father would speak back. And so when the father sees the son, who's totally messed up, he sees him and instead of waiting on him to come and likely apologize, or maybe he was thinking he's going to ask for more money, the father lights out, runs, and greets his son uh, with lots of love. And this just shows that the father loves his son, and he's probably been thinking about his son the whole time that he's been gone, wondering where he is, wondering if he's okay, wondering if he's ever going to see him again. Is he going to come home and you know, maybe scared to death that bad things are happening to him? And and rather than holding a grudge against his son, the first impulse when he sees his son is is, is joy and delight, and he just can't contain himself to the cultural normal expectation of waiting for that son to come. He just he lights out and runs and gives his son a warm homecoming. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So the younger son is not going to be deterred. He wants to make it clear that he's done the wrong thing and he's here to appeal to his father, asking his father for mercy. But the father said to his servants, Quick! bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. So the father doesn't just forgive his son and restore him into the status of of being a son. He goes overboard he gets the nicest clothes, puts a ring on his finger, gets him some shoes for his, his feet because people were traveling in barefoot or whatever. And so that was a, a high sign of respect. He's going to kill the fatted calf. This is, this is going to be a huge sacrifice. And he's going to do all this to welcome his son back. So it's kind of like a, a, a king's return. He, he's welcoming his son in ways that no one would have expected because he loves his son so much. The son he thought was lost, the son he thought was dead, you know, at least dead to him in relationship, is now back, and he cannot contain himself. He just is so grateful to see his son again. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has come back safe and sound. So the older brother, the faithful brother, who's always done what's right, sees all the commotion, asks one one of the guys what's going on. He says, hey, your brother's back. And there's a big party. And we've talked a lot about how the parables test our heart. Uh, What Jesus is teaching us really tests us in our hearts. And this is the test for the older brother. Is he gonna be joyful and go back and embrace his brother? Or is he gonna be a little upset to say, hey, you know what? I've been doing the right thing. He went away and did the wrong thing. Why are we celebrating? So let's see how this test of heart goes for the older brother. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So we have two entirely different reactions. Of course, the father was grateful and loving and and gracious and merciful to his son. The other brother, the older brother, is so upset and angry that he won't even admit that it's his brother. He says, this is this son of yours, he won't even say my brother. He's just so mad. He says, I've done everything right. And how have you celebrated me? And my my brother's done everything wrong. And now you're celebrating that. So two entirely different reactions, this, this forgiving father and this begrudging brother. And you can't blame the brother maybe on one hand, but maybe the father could. He's like, look, Everything that I have has always been yours. You could have celebrated. We could have had parties. You're a good son, but we thought your brother was gone. We thought he was lost, and now he's back, and whatever happened, happened. We need to love and forgive and celebrate that he's here. So then Jesus kind of leaves it open for how the older brother is going to finally respond to his father. Is he going to come around, or is he going to maintain that hard-edged kind of stance? And really, we're kind of looking at kind of a reversal here. It seems that the the son who was on the outside is now on the inside, and the son who thought he was on the inside feels like he's on the outside, and maybe that he didn't really understand who his father was. He was hoping his father would, would be in, in justice and keeping the score rather than being merciful and, and granting some some peace. Uh, so it's complicated. It's complicated. And when we think about it, from our own kind of perspective, our earthly perspective, who, who would you relate most to in this story? Would it be the father? Would it be the younger son? Would it be the older son? From a heavenly perspective, uh, when Jesus is telling this story, uh, the father is God. The father is God. The younger son represents people like you and me who have strayed from God. We have rebelled against God. We've gone our own way. We've made some, some bad choices. God gives us the freedom to choose. And, and sometimes we, we don't choose very well and, and we find ourselves apart from God. Uh, and, and some of it, and, and and then with the the older brother, uh, Jesus is talking specifically about some of the local religious leaders of his day, known as the Pharisees. And he's kind of giving them a hard time. The Pharisees kept the religious laws, they thought very highly of their piety. And they looked down their noses at anyone who was not as religious as they were. And they came into conflict with Jesus a lot of times because Jesus spent time with people who were not religious, who were uh, deemed on the outside of society. And the Pharisees really had a problem with that. And Jesus is saying, that's exactly who I need to be in contact with and that you as religious leaders need to open your hearts and you need to be as forgiving as God the Father is forgiving. And so that's kind of where we are from a heavenly perspective. Uh, this is called the, the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son, the son who comes back, the, the lost son who is found. Uh, I, I like the idea of thinking of this parable also as the parable of the forgiving father, that no matter what we've done in our lives, no matter how far we might have strayed from God, that, that God's ready to welcome us back with open arms. Just like I was willing to do anything for my son Nathan when he was sick and hurting. God the Father is willing to do anything that he can to bring us back. And I just, I love that image of those open arms of that father who went out and just ran out to meet the son, right? Jesus and God the Father, the the Holy Spirit, they're they're all actively coming after us when, when we are distant from God. And, you know, maybe another way that we could call this would be the parable of the begrudging brother, which hopefully is not who we want to be in this story. And if our hearts uh, are hard towards other people who are finding a relationship with Jesus, that hopefully Jesus would, would soften our hearts and we'd be happy for people who are finding a relationship with God. So as we think about this parable, who are you resonating most, most with? And what a joy that we serve a God who is so forgiving and so loving that God will do anything in God's power to win us back. I just I think that's a powerful statement that God makes to us. And as we think about Father's Day here in America this week and, and today as we celebrate that, uh, I just want to say that maybe one of the—actually, I do think the most important responsibility that we have as parents is to raise our children in the faith so that they will have a, a loving personal relationship with God, with Christ. I think that's the, the number one thing that God calls us to do when we have children or grandchildren— And so I'm just so grateful that our church invests so much into our ministries for children and students. And I'd just like to give a big shout out today to Jenny McEwen, who's our director of children's ministries and to Chris and Nikki Bedell, who are directors of student ministries for all that they do for uh, their own literal children that are blood related to them, but also the children of our church, the children of our community, that we as a congregation see raising children in the faith as a major priority. And so we have our Explorers Ministry for birth through fifth grade. We have our uh, South Park Student Ministry, SSM, for grade six through 12. Uh, and Jenny and Chris and Nikki do so much to reach out to the, the children in our community, the students in our community, and, and they've gone above and beyond with all that's happening with the pandemic and having to social distance and just kind of be flexible in how they're remaining and reaching out to, to keep these maintain these relationships that they have. And so I would just invite you, uh, if you don't know much about the children's ministry, the student ministry at our church, to go to our website, we'll pop that link up right now, our online uh, website landing page, and you can, you, can, you can find out about our ministries. And also just invite you on that website to reach out to Jenny and Chris and Nikki and just thank them for all that they're doing. And if you're able to, to help them in the ministry, to let them know that you're willing to do that, Uh, Just to just give them a a big pat on the back because they're working so hard. Laura and I feel honored and blessed that uh, Jenny and Chris and Nikki are caring for our own children. And so today we celebrate that. Also on Father's Day, uh, I think that our church is responsible for another group of children that I'm very excited about. Uh, And that's the group of children who live in Bayonne Haiti. Uh, Bayonne Haiti has a, a Christian church and school there. And it's our number one international uh, mission ministry at South Park Church. We've sent mission teams down there. We've helped provide clean water. And we've gotten to know a lot of those children. There are thousands of children who go to, to school there. They also are able to go to church. And the school teaches them about Jesus. It gives them an academic education. and also provides for them, usually for most of the kids, the only hot meals that they'll receive for the whole day. And so it's a special relationship that we have with Haiti. And right now, things are, are worse than ever. It, it, it's a poor country in, on its best day, but with COVID-19, they're also under lockdown, and it's very difficult to find food right now. And that breaks my heart. And I don't want us to forget about the children of Haiti that are such a, a big part of South Park Church and how we care for them. And I just want to show you a picture of a, a young man named Ezekiel uh, this is a student that my family and I sponsor in school. We send monthly contributions to the school so that this this young man can go to school, he can learn about Christ, and he can get a meal. Uh, Luke and I were able to meet him on a recent trip and just you know share joy of, of hanging out and, and getting to know him a little bit better. And I'm just thankful to all of you who also sponsor children through uh, the World of God ministry. And what I'd like to invite you to do today, maybe if you want to give God a uh, happy Father's Day present, would be to consider doing one of two things. One, just send an online donation or a check uh, to provide food for the people of Haiti. It it can be any amount. No amount is too small and no amount is too large. Uh, We're gonna give you a link right now that you you can click on and it'll take you to a website that'll show you how to make a contribution online or if you wanna mail a check. Uh, And the other thing would be to consider sponsoring a child. It's about $40 a month. You could go on with someone else, split that, make it $20 a month. And again, you provide schooling, you provide food, you provide the love of Jesus Christ through the gospel being proclaimed. Uh, Again, these are just two options. No stress, no expectation, but would like to offer that out to you. Uh, Melissa McIver, who's a member of our church, is on the board of World of God. We'll pop up her email address if you want to learn more about this ministry. I just think this is a great way that as we think about caring for the children of God, caring for the children of our our worldwide community. These are two ways that we could help children who we have a connection with, who are very special to our hearts and in great need right now. But to get back to the parable and to get back to Christ and God and all that good stuff that we read about in Jesus' teaching, in the Bible, it, it calls God, the Bible calls God, the authors of the Bible call God a lot of times our Father, our Heavenly Father. And I know that those of us who have great relationships with our own dads and our own grandfathers, when we hear that word for God, that that probably is something that we, we embrace and we welcome that. And I also know that some of us don't have good fathers. We don't have good grandfathers. And when we hear God called Father, it's not welcoming. It's In fact, it, it makes us cringe, and, and it just, it's not something that, that we want to associate with God, and I understand that as well, and so I'm grateful that God is beyond male or female, that there are many titles and many names for God in the Bible that we can call God by if Father is one that doesn't connect to us, and and God is our father, but God is also a mother to us. God is our heavenly parent. So there's lots of ways that we can address God. And yet it's still, it's okay for us to call God father if that's a way that we can connect to God. And I know that in my own life, I have a great father. I have a great father in A lot of great men in my lives. And when I see good in them, I think that reflects back on, on God, the father in heaven, it reflects back but I think sometimes we look at God the Father through the wrong lens. Rather than looking through our, our earthly fathers to, to judge God as Father, I think we, we're, we're called to start with God the Father and work our way back down. That God the Father shows us what it looks like to be a, a heavenly parent and that earthly parents should strive to be like God the Father, not vice versa. And so as I think about God, as I think about God the parent, as I think about God the Father, I again go back to my son, Nathan, when I was willing to do anything for him, right? That's the way God feels about us. When when we're far from God, God is willing to do anything. In fact, he's willing to do everything. He sent his son, Jesus, into the world to die on a cross and to come back to life so that you and I can be forgiven. So that when we have guilt and shame, it can be taken away and replaced with joy and peace that that we can live life to the full now and live forever in the kingdom of heaven. God loves us so much that God did all of that for us. God held nothing back. God did everything possible within God's power. And I see that God as beautiful and wonderful and with those open arms, just like the father in the story. And again, if you need to picture God as heavenly parent, that's okay. And if you wanna picture God as father, that's okay too because It's the right kind of father. It's the right kind of dad. It's the right kind of daddy. It's the one that loves us unconditionally and will do anything in his power to reach us. With the exception of one thing. There's one thing that God won't do and that is to override our choice, to override our free will. God's not gonna make us love God. God's not gonna make us follow God. God's not gonna make us be in a relationship with God. That's a gift to us. God says, I'll do anything in my power. I'll do everything that I can with the exception of overriding your free will. Which is what's so beautiful about this story when the young son realizes he's absolutely messed up and he goes back to his father. He swallows his pride. He's like, dad, I messed up. I did wrong against you. I did wrong against heaven. Will you you please forgive me? The Bible says that the word for that is to repent. It means to turn away from something and to turn to something else. And so the younger son turned away from his mistakes. He turned away from his wrongdoing and he turned to his father and asked for forgiveness. And that's exactly what God offers us. God is the Father who's ready to jump off the porch and run and meet us. God's the Father who's ready to say, yeah, I know you messed up, but I love you anyway. And and that's why Jesus died for you and came back to life so that we can forgive you and and you can live life to the full and live forever in the kingdom of of heaven. But I'm not gonna make you do that. That is your choice. So what? So what's the point? What's the big idea? This This is what I think it is today. When we own up, God opens up. When we own up to our mistakes, when we own up to our sin, when we own up to our own, our wrongdoing, when we, when we say, we made a mistake. God, we hurt you. We've done wrong. When we own up to the, the sin in our lives, God opens up God's arms and welcomes us back. And God runs to meet us and hugs us and and, and gets out the fancy robe and the rings and, and gets the sandals out and gets the party started because God loves us so much. When we own up, God opens up because that's the kind of God that God is. That's the kind of parent that God is. That's the kind of father that God is, the one who holds nothing back, who will give us everything. And he expects us, though, to make that choice freely. And so that's where we come to the end of the parable where the father had talked to the older brother and, and we're kind of left on the edge of our seat wondering how the older brother's going to respond. I want to shift that focus now to you and to me. As, as, as God's sitting on the end of God's seat, right at the edge of that seat, and, and, and Jesus has died for us, and, and God the Father's ready to open God's open arms to us and welcome us back, are, are, are we ready to say to God, these are the things that I've done wrong and I want to leave them behind? This is the the part of my life that it's just, it's not working. God, I need your forgiveness. I need you to come into my life and and open yourself and open those arms to me. And maybe you're in a right relationship with God, and that's awesome, and and that we want to pray for our brothers and sisters who are watching right now who are struggling or, or who feel like that younger brother. And so I guess it comes down to, right, what's our choice? How are we going to end this parable? How's the story going to end? Or are we ready to, to run and meet God and to ask for that forgiveness and, and to receive right, life to the full and life forever in the kingdom of God? Right? How is your parable going to end? So I just would encourage you right now to talk to God, to pray to God as, as we begin to transition into our closing song, as I invite Cole and our band to, to come and sing this song called Unstoppable God. And we're gonna sing about a God who cannot be stopped, There's nothing God's going to do that's going to get in God's way to hold God back from running off that front porch to come and receive us. The only thing that can stop God is our stubbornness and our heart and our free will. So how about it? Are you ready to surrender to God? Are you ready to recommit to God? Are you ready to open your arms up and invite God to be your Lord and Savior? This is your opportunity. This is how the parable can end. How's it going to be? How's it going to be in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Let's go to that unstoppable God in worship, right?